0: Failure at 40. Failure at 40. Can you still be fulfilled at 40? Without the partner, without the children, the career, or the beautiful home, all in the picture. Failure at 40 interviews, debates, and discusses the reality of turning 40. I'm Shelley the Life Coach. Welcome to another episode of Failure at 40. Today we're speaking to Amy Newton, the 40-year-old advertising executive from New Jersey, who's currently in a relationship with one child. On this episode, we will cover topics like this,
1: yeah, it's like what you think you want versus what you need. Yeah, it's like you think you want this like six foot athletic. That's what my ex was before. He was like six foot French, like, you know, French, African, like big, like all the like checking all the boxes. Yeah, like this is, looks dope on my arm. Like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, he was like an engineer. I was like, that's what I want. It's not what I needed.
0: Stay locked in for more. Welcome to <laughs> failure, at failure, at failure.
1: What part of the world are you joining us from? So I'm in the sunny New Jersey in America. So how long have you been in Jersey for? Yeah, I moved to America 14 years ago. Um, So yeah, mid-20s with my company at the time, Yahoo. At the time I was with Yahoo um, in London and I had done a stint in Australia. And actually they offered me a permanent job in Australia, but I turned it down because I knew I wanted to come to New York. So I went back to London and then started to like navigating the company to figure out who I needed to talk to to get to here. Um, and then I think like a year later, I, I got a role here and moved over and like never looked back. So where are you from originally? South. South. <laughs> born, in, born in Greenwich, um, but lived in Lewisham my whole life up until I moved here. Lewisham, Hither Green, Sydenham area you you are dropping the ends now. <laughs> yes, yes. I had my flat in Sydenham um, that I rented out when I moved here. So taking us a little bit back, I guess, to some of your early years. So tell us a bit about your family,
0: where, where they're born originally, where you, you know, where your origins are, um, siblings, etc. cetera.
1: Yeah, so my mum is half Irish, half Nigerian, and she's born and raised in Fulham in London Um, and then my dad is Jamaican and uh, I always make a joke because my mum met my dad when she was partying in Lewisham which is where my dad was you know he's in Deptford Lewisham kind of area and I was like you couldn't have moved to Fulham (laughs) like why did you decide to stay in Lewisham (laughs) 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 you know what I'm saying I'm like could you have gone to where mum lived anyway so we stayed in Lewisham but yeah so uh, that's where they're from and then I have an older sister who is Also, still in London. Pretty much everybody's still in London.
0: But, I mean, would you say that, you know, growing up, there were particular people who were influential, whether it was friends or family members, that kind of made you think bigger than just London, globally, let's say?
1: Yeah, I think I always... Well, I think a lot of that is the way that my parents brought us up because we always travelled. Like, from as young as I can remember, we went to France every year, it's like the... South of France, we had like like a caravan. We used to do like road trips and like stay down there. Then we used to get villas with like my parents' friends and their kids. Every single year we went somewhere, we we're going to Jamaica to America, from like when I was three, five, eight, nine, and up. So I've always traveled a lot. So I think them exposing us to that and the world essentially at a very young age gives you a different perspective on life. So I always thought of myself as being more like worldly and I knew Lucian couldn't hold me <laughs> forever
0: <laughs> and I mean what did you what, what were your what were your passions I guess early on in in those early teens early set 20s what were your passions what were you what did you like to do have fun yeah um,
1: like I really was like I'm not having kids I'm not having a serious relationship until I'm four years and that's basically what happened <laughs> well a little bit before that but um I was like I don't want kid. I want none of that I want to like have fun I want to work I want to travel I want to make money and that's like all I cared about for most of my Time really like we used to go every weekend, Shirley. Like I wanted to party and have fun, and I did. Th- I did a lot of that, and I'm glad I did it because now I have a kid. Because that, that takes up your whole time.
2: Like you said, that basically you you wanted to leave, you wanted to to move. Where did that? So I know you travelled a lot when you was younger. So what was the process for? Like, did you go to uni? Did you like what was your qualifications? How was school? How did that situation happen?
1: Yeah, it's funny. People always talk about how they get to a certain point in their lives that's really good. And it was like a, you know, an atypical path. Mine was very typical. <laughs> like I went to secondary school, I went to Cat for Girls. I wasn't doing well, I was getting really, yeah, I just was hanging out and not doing my work. So my parents pulled me at that school and put me in uh, Asks Hatcham College in New Cross and I did better there. But then I went to sixth form college in Lewisham and then I went to university in Essex. And then I got a job in the thing that I studied like straight away. Like it was so standard, almost like ridiculously so. I think the, the, the pivot was me deciding to move to America. And that's when things like really started changing.
0: Was that because you were, were unhappy or disillusioned or unfulfilled in the UK?
1: You know, we was always out and on the streets and engaging with a lot of people all the time. And like, I kind of just, I didn't see, I knew what I wanted and I didn't see it. I never saw it the whole time. And so I was like, it's not. In London, or at least it's not in my immediate vicinity in London. And I had, you know, date guys and family people all over London. It's not like we just stayed in South, right? It was like North London, Northwest London. And I was always just like the mindset of certain people in London, just a small way of thinking. Because you know, like we're first generation, right? In in London, like our parents are from Africa and Jamaica and you know, whatever, Barbados. And um, I think we get a lot of their perspective. And as we grow up, we start to potentially think a little bit small like with the island mindset when the world is a lot bigger than that and so a lot of people I think around me just had the small mindset and I was like I'm not with it and so I was like I need to find somewhere else where people think a little bit bigger a little bit differently but also like where also a lot of black people are (laughs) and that speaks you know and they speak English as their first language and stuff like that and so it ended up whittling down to would have to be America Um, and then I decided on New York because at the time I was working at Yahoo and a colleague was actually from America and I was working in the London office. And she was just telling me all these great stories about how she used to go out and how fun it was and how she knows how I like to go out and have fun. She's like, you would love it, trust me, you would fit in there. Like It's really like London, but like better. And I was like, yeah, I'm liking this. And so that's when I started down that path. Um, and then I came over here and I found that other mindset that I, that I knew existed. That was just a little bit more like embracing of black people, even more so than London. Because, you, know, you know, there are some challenges. I, well, at least I experienced in London with like how people think. And that doesn't really exist over here. Um, and I was kind of sick of it. <laughs> tell you about that. Yeah. Well, let me tell you something. OK, so this is the perception of English people in America. Pet niggers. Yes.
0: Told
1: them I got if my you know. Pay and you Let's go. Let's, let's tell the real story. So, like, if you don't know what that is, you should look it up. Called, it's uh, Paul Mooney's term. Um, but I went to uh, a comedy... My, sh- my sister came to visit one time, let me back up. And we went to see Paul Mooney, me, my partner, and my sister in Times Square. And we were sitting right at the front at tables, the three of us, and uh, Paul just kept, like, staring at our table, like, the whole time. And Rodney, like, had seen him before, like, Years and years before I seen him, he like, he's a big fan of him. And he was like, he's going to say something to us. The way he's watching our table. And I was you like, you, coming? you think so? He was like, yeah, because he was staring <laughs> at my sister in particular. And so then he, he goes into some joke and then he looked her and he goes, pet nigger. <laughs> I was like, shit. Ronnie was like, mm. anyway, she just laughed. She didn't even know what he was talking about. And at the time, honestly, I didn't really know either. But my partner, who's from here, broke it down for me. Because he was like, basically, like, English people don't really know they're Black. <laughs> because English people don't experience the same level of like racial turmoil that they do in the states we think things don't apply to us and I definitely came over here with some of that some of it's good some of it's bad. some of it's good in that I don't let it touch me and I continue on with my life and I don't want to get bogged down in that stuff yeah which is a good thing but then on the other hand it's like I don't have necessarily the right empathy for certain things because of the experience I didn't live and so there's like a middle ground of like you know, I'm not gonna let that stop me in my tracks, but also like just take a minute to understand where you are and what the, you know, the lived experiences are of, of American black people and how that really is different from anywhere else in the world, whether it's the Caribbean, whether it's Africa, whether it's England, like it's very different.
0: Racism is very still apparent in, in Britain. And I don't think, I guess in terms of the whole pet nigger, sort of, I don't, I don't even know if we could, I don't even know how to coin that here because I think it's still very tough for us to get certain jobs, tough for us to get certain income, tough for us to get in houses. You know, we're, we're still in, you know, poor background areas. You know, like it's, it's systematic, isn't it? And, and I, 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 I don't know. I think black people are just struggling <laughs> in lots of places where white people are in power, and I think that's just what it is.
1: Yeah, but I think in, it's... So it refers to English people in America, specifically. Yeah. So when, you come, when okay. you come over here, yeah, so when you come on, maybe, let me make that distinction. So when you come over here, you're not really viewed as the rest, like the rest of them. Like you have a little asterisk because you have a nice pretty accent and you, you know, you went to Europe and like, they look at you differently.
0: Okay. So people they people might accept us more so because we've got an accent or connection with, with Britain or Europe.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. It's, so it almost creates like, not like a wedge, people that come over don't, understand like almost like you come over here with a privilege privilege because you're English (laughs) and if you don't really understand that like you know things can get murky so I learned that I didn't know either like I figured stuff out from living here and like being with a guy who's from here.
2: I find that so interesting I've heard
1: about things like that like you know
2: being a black British person considered to be more entitled because the racism that we may experience is very different to the racism that is experienced for someone that is living, born and raised in, um, in America. And even when we're taught in schools, we're very much taught about, you know, the civil rights movement. We don't really hear about Black British history. It's always about the struggles of what happened in America. And so I can kind of see how it may be deemed that we're a little bit more entitled because, you know, we have the British passport and the British blood and that kind of thing. So that's quite interesting.
0: I mean, what's interesting is whenever I travel, people are always really, like, surprised that I'm from Britain, as opposed to America or the Caribbean. They Like, you know, you say, you know, I'm I'm British, and they're like, oh, like, there's black people in in
1: Britain. Yeah, it happens a lot, actually. Um, People assume I'm Spanish most of the time. Over here, like, I'm Puerto Rican or, like, Colombian or something. And I'm like, I'm from England. They're like, really? (laughs) (laughs) Didn't see that coming. (laughs) They're like, oh, your accent's so cute. But, that's that's annoying, a, it's a thing. <laughs> but it's a thing, you know? So you have to kind of like, and again, like I didn't like see it until I met my nap partner and he like opened my eyes to a lot of things, even just like the way he's treated versus the way I'm treated when we're together. Like it's different, you know what I'm saying? And I'm black also, but my black experience is not the same as his because I'm English.
2: Is that also about your shade as well?
1: Yeah. I mean, I went, he calls me, what does he call me? Waffle colored nigga. It's <laughs> 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 like nickname oh, for me, it's so sweet. Oh, um, nah. no. Yeah.
2: My own, very own waffle.
1: <laughs> yeah. He's like, oh. But yeah, I mean, that place, that's, in, that's everywhere, though. Like, you know, we know that. I'm not blind to that. But that being here, laid on with English, he's like, you're, you're, you're an asterisk. Like, you don't get what we have to deal with. And I was like, it's true. I mean, today, like an hour before we got onto this phone call, he called me and said, hey, the police are following me. They've been following me for a good five minutes. Call me back in 20 minutes if you don't hear from me. And that's a regular thing out here, right? I said, okay. And so I'm looking at the clock, I'm like timing it. I text him, he's like, you call." He's like, yeah, I got home. He went back to the house to get something. And he's like, I'm on my way back now. They're out today, they're everywhere. Like just call me again in 50 minutes. And, like that's a real like part of our lives in you know? in this country, you know. Is that, is that COVID related why there are a lot of them out today or is that just because that's how it is? I think, well, they have quotas, right? They call them collars for dollars where basically the police have a quota to hit and if they're not meeting their quota there are like incentives to book people.
2: Is that really true? I've heard that. Is that really, like, yes, that's really a true. thing? Yes. How can you have a quota if you're a public servant?
1: This country, I'm telling you. They have some wild stuff going on over it's here. It's so strange. It's, it's a very interesting place because it's like, at one, on, you know, on one side of the coin, it's like, I love it. Yeah. I have a great career, great family. Like, the weather's much better, even though it's not like a hot country. At least you get nicer days. The sky is pretty much always blue. Like, you know, there's more opportunity here. Like, it's good. And then the other side, it's like, there's some crazy people. <laughs> there's yeah. some crazy, crazy stuff. To black people, like the stuff is wild.
0: The balance is just yeah. sound very, like wow, two end spectrum. It's like really great on one hand, and on the other hand, it's like insane. Because like, you hear about healthcare, yeah. people
2: having to pay for the basics just to keep themselves well. If you yeah. don't have,
1: uh, mm-hmm. yep. If you don't have money, like this country ain't for you. This country is only for people that have money. Period. Like, there's no kind of community. and I mean, there are within smaller communities, right? Like, each community community tries to take care of themselves. That's what the Black Panther Party was, right? Like, they were created to serve their community. Like, they provided breakfast for the children, like, all that stuff. That's they, That still happens, but from a broader sense, like, the government ain't really trying to mess with you if you don't have money. Like, it's like, you're on your own, you know? I mean, you
0: pointed out some really interesting things just uh, in that bit there just about kind of some of the challenges that you kind of ran into in the UK which kind of you kind of actually the mindset of what I'm dealing with here is 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 not on par with my own mindset and actually you've got to look for something more do you think there is there is there anything about some of and I'm thinking maybe you'll think about guys opportunities um, yeah exactly
1: yeah
2: um, what about friendship groups would you say there's different mentality with friendship groups as well
1: yeah, no, no one can touch my London girls. so let me just say that first. Like, no one at all. Like, I never found anyone as dope as, like, you know, my other friends. Like, no, they can't touch that. But from a guy perspective, way better. <laughs> no offence to anyone on this listening to this, but... Is that ambition? just how you're treating me? Yeah, and let me preface this in my personal opinion, so, you know, don't take it as a broad statement for anything other than, my, you know, the way I think about it or feel about it. But when I was in England... you you brought up my shade before. Like that was a reason that I was targeted by guys because they were looking for a lifestyle girl with, you know, before I used to keep my hair natural, which but before when it was I used to perm it, it was straight. That's like the reason they were talking to me. It wasn't about who I actually was, what I was saying, what I was about, what I was doing with my life, my aspirations, whatever. It was about the way I looked. You fit the mold. Over and over and over again. Yeah. And it was really annoying. One guy that what tipped the scale for me that actually, I was like, I'm going natural. This guy, I think I had some regrowth, you know, one day, because I used to put my hair. And he was like, oh. like he acted like the world was ending. And I was like, you know what? I don't need this no more, I'm done. And so I was like, I need to wean out you guys who are looking for a certain type of thing that is not at all about who I am as a person. Um, and it wasn't like one or two, it was like a lot of guys. <laughs> so I was like, no. And so I went natural, I started to actually attract different types of guys. who who cared more about me because my hair wasn't like perfectly straight and whatever. More conscious, would you say? More conscious guys? More conscious, yeah, people who actually had something to say until it got better. But yeah, I just was always looking for something more. Do you
0: think part of that mentality in the UK is about us being a little bit displaced, uh, more so than I guess in, in America, where they've been there for quite a long time? And, and their community is at least fixed. Where in the UK, I think uh, the communities are still relatively, I mean, not even 100 years good.
1: Yeah, well, it's funny because sometimes they think the opposite because we, like, know where we came from because, you know, where it's you know what I'm saying? And they, they've been in America since basically slavery time, so they have no, like, when okay. they ask you where your parents are from and you say Jamaica, Barbados, like Ghana or whatever, they're like North Carolina, South Carolina, like Jersey, like, there's, that's as far back as I can get to. Um, so it's funny they see it the other way around. I, yeah, I think there are a lot of funny perceptions and perspectives in England around women, Black women in particular, and how they should look and act. And if you look too Black, it's not necessarily embraced as much as, say, in the United States versus the Black and the better over here, which I really like. So that was my personal experience. Again, not speaking for everybody, so no one get mad when you're listening to this. This is just... <laughs> <laughs> my personal experience.
0: Well, it does seem like there's a real stronghold where you are. The community just seems to be, seems and sounds a, a lot stronger in, in lots of ways.
1: Yeah, they, uh, they definitely embrace it. That's why all this, like, you know, the black love and all that stuff, it's like real big in America, you know, because they make a point of, uh, of that in a way that, like, I remember when I was living in England still in my, I guess, mid-20s, early 20s. And like, at one point it was like, Every time I saw a black man, he was with, you know, a non-black woman, like consistently. Obviously, I'm not living there anymore, so things may have changed or maybe not. But I remember, you know, I used to go all over London um, and it was a thing that I would always see. It's funny, like moving over here, it's like almost the opposite, even in like New York City, which is like very, you know, cosmopolitan it has everybody wasn't as much of that. And, I, and I'm not saying either one is like better, but it was just interesting to see the differences in how people
0: are i lived in america for a short space of time and i do always remember even though you know new york was a melting pot people were still very much in their own little cultures you know like you'd find jews there the haitians are together there you know the Caribbeans are here even though you're all together but everybody still starts in their own little bits whereas in the uk you find there's lots of meshing and it is interesting like people seem to be more to others than to each other now you
1: can see that even more so now which is it in Uh, point of view. Yeah I think you're 100% right about that. It's very segregated over here still Um, and it's also like block to block like what you just mentioned the like Haitians uh, Jewish people like it could be block to block like one street (laughs) versus another street like it's crazy like so what if you can't get out on this street do you just move to the next neighborhood where the rest of the people are that look like you like crazy. (laughs) In that block. (laughs) yeah
2: I had conversations recently with people who were talking about how there's not really a set community of culture, of like black culture, necessarily. Yeah. Whereas in America, you find all over America, there's pockets of cultural communities. And not to say they don't mix, but, you know, that you know, there's this area is going to have a you know a, a large amount of black people this area has a l- large amount of hispanic people like there's like loads of pockets do you think that's a negative that it's not like it's not segregated in the uk
1: that's a really good question you know what <laughs> i'm not. i don't think it should be segregated but i do think that there needs to be more community within ourselves like 100% yeah. one of the things that really used to annoy me um I'm just going to like 100% honest it's like when a black guy has a really really cockney accent and i think like to me and that all their you know brothers are white and girlfriend or the wife is white and like that's their world like to me that's like it's such a mess it's like there's no one else in your circle of color like so i don't think we should be segregated but you should you should i mean you should have a bona fide who at least understands your lived experience like i do believe that i mean that's what everybody else does indians asian you know whether they're Indian or Chinese, Japanese, like we just don't do it well. Is, is why don't
0: you identify with your own? I mean, if you're here yeah. and you've grown up and you, you, you're living the black experience, you know, if you've, if you've made the choice consciously to have everybody around you from one particular background and nobody from your own, you know, I would want to be in my mind, I would be thinking, why? Do you not want to associate? You know, I mean, nobody's saying that they have their best friends, but why why is your community why it's still not about your community? And I know there's lots of reasons why people might be from different backgrounds, whether it's they've been in care, they've been adopted, or you know, they've they've grown up in, in the Shire somewhere, like you know, a hobbit yeah. <laughs> down there somewhere. Like <laughs> yeah. But when you make a conscious decision that you will say that I don't identify, you know, or I just don't get on, or I just don't, which to me is absurd because you get so much different characters, personalities in any community. So for you to make the choice of, well, actually, I can't find anybody
1: that I identify with who's black. I think there's something, like, actually, like, w- wrong with them. I do. And even because, I mean, my mum is an example, right? My mum, uh, she's mixed race, but she was adopted by white people, like, a white couple, and grew up with all white people in a white house household in Fulham like wasn't super exposed to a lot of people of colour until she went to the south <laughs> and then started to that
0: to that rave
2: <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly <laughs> I was like oh I like it
0: so converted and was like oh that's me that's yeah, me
1: but if, but if I look at all my mom's old pictures of like when she's with her friends going to college or like travelling they're all white like my mom didn't have no black she's also like very very light and her hair straight so you know I was my my partner said she could pass <laughs> but like she didn't have a lot of that influence until she kind of got with my dad so I can to your point Shelley I can see why that can potentially happen but if you're making like a conscious decision about it as like an adult I think it's very odd
0: yeah
1: I think, I think that's definitely
0: the bit where you start to question well actually is it because you've got some identity issues you know and actually, you're taking a conscious decision not to associate with people who look like you and like you, or actually, it's just way that things have worked out, which is very yeah. different.
2: I've traveled to New York like as a holiday and was an absolute tourist, and I travel a lot. Every place I've been, communities culturally stick together, they do still go out, don't get me wrong, but they there is that sense of belonging. And I don't think we necessarily have that as much in the UK. And that's why I I don't know if I could ever move too far from South London because I just feel like that's the only type of cultural community that is in the UK. Whereas wherever I go, even when I went to Miami, you still have those pockets of if I wanted to move there, I know like where my people would be or do you get do you know what I mean like so I just I, I do, was yeah. wondering whether or not you felt like that we're missing that trick in the UK with the whole like everybody just be multicultural, let's not see
1: colour, let's all be one. Which is like I hate that when people say that too. What do you mean? <laughs> well everybody sees it. That's why we have systemic racism. People know who you're talking about. I, I get really offended as people say it to me. Yeah, but
2: just ignore it so that we can all be one, like this all just be one big thing. And yeah. it doesn't it doesn't work. The idea is um it doesn't work at all. I feel like someone came up with that and thought that was a brilliant idea, but it, it, just does, it, doesn't, work. it doesn't
1: work. It doesn't work because of systemic racism, because you're not, you don't get treated the same. The baseline is different. If we all started with the same baseline, with the same opportunities, fine. But the reality is that doesn't exist from, from 50, 100 years back, blocked in getting, blocked in voting, blocked on getting mortgages, blocked on bank loans, blocked on opportunity, education, like you start off behind the curve, uh, the curve from white people. And so you can't, they can't understand where you're coming from in a lot of cases, you know. So if your experiences are different, you're not, you can't be the same regardless of, who, you know, what you're saying you see. You'll, you'll feel it <laughs> if you're a person of colour. And then that's just the reality of it.
2: I want to take you a little bit back to uni. When you went to university, what did you study?
1: I studied media production and technology. Um, at Essex University. It was like a 50% theory, 50% production course, because I knew I wanted to do something in the media space. At the time I wanted to be like a good graphic artist or something, or an editor or something like that. So I wanted a course that allowed me to actually like do the, the practical stuff.
2: Um, and something you said earlier that jumped out, I mean, was you were like saying, like I was just bang on like the money, I wanted to make sure I made good money and so forth. Did, did you choose that course specifically because you felt like that was going to kind of like increase your money
1: or was you actually just really interested in the career or was it both? In the media space, at the time I wanted to be like a good graphic artist or something, or an editor or something like that. So I wanted a course that allowed me to actually like do the, the practical stuff. And something you said
2: earlier, bang on like the money, I wanted to make sure I made good money and so forth. Did, did you choose that course specifically because you felt like that was going to kind of like
1: increase your money or was she actually just really interested in the career or was it both? Because I hated doing, doing it for commercial reasons I like designing and stuff but I hate doing it for commercial reasons that's not my own and so I ended up leaving there and then I was like I didn't really know what I was going to do and then I just went to like a job agency in North London which is where my old job was and I just applied I was like I just need to make some money so I can move out <laughs> that was my goal to get out of my parents house so that you know they just put me um, up for all these different jobs. And then one came up um, in, at JC Deco, which is like the outdoor advertising company, which I didn't really know about at the time. I'd seen like the bus stops and stuff, but I didn't know much about it because I hadn't worked in advertising before. And so I went for that job and then it was like a, a client services executive job. And I went for that and like I got it and that started my career in advertising. But I kind of fell into that because um, I was like, I'm going to be an artist, I'm going to be a designer. And then I was like, this is annoying. People being like, can you move that half an inch to the right and move that little bit up? I'm like, it's fine how it is. <laughs>
0: <laughs> how old were you at that time? Toughly.
1: It was uh, 2002. So, it was I like 21, 22.
0: I mean, you mentioned before, just before you left, you sold, you had a flat, you bought a flat.
1: Yeah, when I was 24, I got a flat in Sydney. Um, Which you purchased or you were rented because you wanted to move? Yeah. Yeah, I purchased that. Because at that time, they had 0% down mortgages. 100% mortgages. Oh, good so old days. Good old days. No deposit All required. Those I was days. like, sign me up. <laughs> I'll figure <laughs> out how to pay it after. Just get my name <laughs> on this thing. <laughs> Where do
0: I sign? I mean, what you did mention, just kind of like things happening very kind of succinctly and almost, I, I guess, godically. And, and do you think that that was just because you were just in the right place, right time? Or that's just how life unfolded for you at that time?
1: I think I've always been good with people, and I know how to talk to people and connect with people, like whoever they are. But I think I got that from my parents because they like to hang out and talk to people a lot. So we were always at parties and stuff with my parents. And My dad has a big family, so he was always around a lot of people all the time. Um, so I, I learned how to interact with people, I think, well. And so when I was put in an interview situation with actually very little experience, I was fine because I was just, you know, I was, conf- I was confident. And I already had a year, which I thought was like a whole bunch of experience. I was like, well, I have a year. Like, and I did all this stuff. And they're like, OK, well, we like your attitude. And yeah, you've got some skills. So, we'll, you know, we'll try it out. I think that was a big part of it. I know how to talk to people. Would you say you're a planner? Very much so. Was a planner then? or More so since I've gotten older. Because at that time, I didn't really know what was happening. And then I found myself in this kind of the early stages of my career. And then I realized I was good at it and I really liked it. So I was like, oh, okay, this is the path I'm on. So as I've gotten older, I've been more, more of a planner.
2: Okay, Amy, I just wanted to ask you a little bit, like, you say you're a bit of a planner, how did you plan your life in the future? Like, did you have a plan for by this age, I want to do this? Like, what was your plan for, what did you envision you like to be at 40 or like 50 or 30?
1: I did it in like, probably like 10 year increments. <laughs> so like one site, so for example, it, when I got to Yahoo!, I was in an account management role and I saw the opportunity to move into a sales role and like what that would do for me like financially and like network wise and all the rest of it. And I was like, okay, so that's, that's the next thing I'm gonna do. And so um, I would start to do these like, you know, the secret, Oprah in facebook I start to do these like little things. I still do it to this day, actually, it actually seems to have worked so. But so every time like I log into my computer, which is every day I put in the goal that I want and that's like my password. For my my personal Mac and my work computer. And so, wherever it is at that stage, I change the password to match that goal. So, almost manifesting it. To manifest yeah. it. And it has worked.
0: But yeah, so, have you got any more tips for our listeners that might help them? <laughs> <laughs> that that billion, billion pound
1: and that Tesla. <laughs> yeah. It's, well, that, so you've got, you've got to think, you've got to look around corners, you've got to think about what's coming. So you're talking about Elon Musk and Tesla, like what you have to think about now, Bitcoin and NFTs, non-fungible tokens, digital, the physical moving to the digital and the value of that is a very interesting space that's like unfolding right now. Um, so I'm thinking about that and then I'm also trying to figure out Bitcoin and how to potentially get involved in that because that is looking like it's going to turn the whole government on its head at some point <laughs> um, and it could be a whole new way of transacting even with companies. So I'm also thinking about like, what can I get in on that's going to be the thing in the next you know, five years? And then I'll put that thing into my part. So I'm literally typing it out every single day, multiple times a day to help like, manifest whatever the thing is. And if it's not your, if it's not your password, like, write it on something, write it in a notebook, write it on a, like, a whiteboard, like your phone. It's just repetition, isn't it? Yeah, because it, cause it like, gets into your subconscious and then you make the right moves and decisions based on this thing that's like, in the back of your mind that you really want. Okay, what was your goal for 30? I think 30 was like to be in a sales account executive role, which I did when I was 29. And then once I was in that role, it was like make X more amount of money. And so I moved into like the area of mobile, which at the time was like quite new because mobile advertising was still really niche. You know, companies didn't know how to set up like customer experiences on, with advertising on mobile yet. So that was new. And so it was a, it was a way for me to, something that was a bit more futuristic at the time and then when you become an expert in something niche your money goes up like immediately so I was able to like double my base salary just doing going in that direction of like the future um, and then helped me when I moved to the company I'm at now because um, I came in as like a specialist in that thing that one thing which there weren't many that had as many years as I did doing that, that thing.
0: And, and was that simultaneous with planning for relationships, looking for partners, or were you just focused on the career?
1: Yeah, I was like hyper-focused on career, career, career. Like that was my main thing for many years. And I was always like, I'll probably get married and have kids when I'm 40. Like that was fine for me. Um, Now I can tell you I'm tired as hell. (laughs) I'm like, I just got this shit earlier, it's just a mistake. It was a mistake. <laughs> I can't <laughs> take it back. <laughs> 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 she done this shit five years ago. No, um, <laughs> but no, I'm glad I waited really because now I have the means to like give her everything she wants and more. So, and that was important to me, especially out here because it's not like the education is not the same <laughs> as London. You know what I'm saying? Like, so you need to make sure you live in a really good area, white people area where they have but they put the money into the schools because they do not put money into schools, have underrepresented communities like black and Latino, Hispanic. They don't put money. I mean, I'm talking like billions of dollars less in those schools in those neighborhoods. Um, obviously this is the whole systemic racism thing.
0: Well in London, I think,
1: but as you go out of London, I think more and more you're seeing... Not to this, not to this degree though. So for example, like I went to Catford Girls, which would be considered like, you know, not, not a great school, not at that time anyway. And then I went to New Cross, which wasn't that far away, which was, like, slightly better. But that disparity in America is, like... Huge. Yeah. Like, huge. And it's more segregated. Like, they're mostly, you know, communities of white people or, and or Asians. And they're, they're the ones that receive the money. And then Black and Hispanic people, like, don't get any money, don't get the resources, don't get the books. It affects the classes, the access to, like, enrichment and all of that. So your whole education you start. This goes back to that that baseline. You're behind. You're intentionally behind the line. Yeah, you can't all have that same one experience. Play. How long have you been together with your current partner?
0: Almost ten years. Okay, so pretty much the whole of your thirties.
1: Yeah, I met him. Yeah, I met him when I was like on my thirty-first birthday, actually.
0: Okay, so I mean, tell us a little bit about like that. How did How did you meet? I mean, you went there, footloose and fancy
2: free. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. You left in the relationship. <laughs>
1: now you got most of responsibility. <laughs> Yeah. responsibility um, yeah I'd actually just come out of a relationship at that time and uh, we was at this like club it was like a speakeasy basically like a uh, you go down into this like deep dark little hole <laughs> and a like, <laughs> yeah but there's like a cute bar you go down you're like where is this and you're like oh cool and it's like a nice little like setup, like nice bar everyone's like dressed up I'm like oh okay um and so we was there for my birthday, me and like four other girlfriends, and I was sitting around in this booth. And then he came in and I actually was emailing with my ex-boyfriend who had emailed me like happy birthday. And I was like, thanks, which <laughs> did not <shouldn't> even reply. <laughs> replied. And then um, he, he came in and I think he was like trying to talk. He was talking, but he was talking to like us because we were all sitting around. So I thought he was talking to one of my other friends. So I saw him and I was like, Oh, he's talking to son-in-so. Okay, whatever. He was kind of hanging around and then my friend was like, you know, he's like trying to talk to you. And I was like, who? And she was like, he's like trying to get your attention. I was like, ain't you talking to you know, Santa? And she was like, No, he's trying to talk to you. And he's like, ah. And I looked up and he was like, Hey. I was like, oh hey. Yeah, we just started talking. We didn't talk for long. We talked for like 10 minutes. And he was like, So you're gonna give me a number then? And I was like, no, just give me your number. He was like, nah, give me your number. He's like, don't, 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 don't try it. And I was like, in different words, because he's from New Jersey, but that's essentially what he said. And I wasn't used to that, because usually my line was, my go-to line was always, you give me your number. And then I controlled everything. And yeah. I was talk to you, like, maybe I'll call you and like, block my number, like, I don't know yet. But I was in control, you know. You think you,
0: he was more of an alpha male than what you might get here? Mm-hmm in the uk you know
1: very very much alpha but like the highest eq i've ever seen in a man like emotional intelligence i've ever seen in a man Mm. Uh, emotionally like he's uh really like mature is that just because of him as a person who he is yeah i think it's i think everyone is the way they are because of their experiences so i think he's lived through some stuff growing up as a black man in this country that he where he's a bit more empathetic to things he's uh he's an artist as well like really an artist that's like the only thing he's ever done his whole life so he's never worked had like a corporate job or anything so you know they're different kind of people they're more like connected to people and emotion versus like me who's always in corporate and I just can be some a little bit robot robotic at times he's like the softer side yeah and he's just I think he's just really smart <laughs> do you think that
0: you're more measured in that way because you know you the corporate can be like you say quite methodical, quite, you know, robotic, but also to me that sounds very, very English as well. You know, the very stiff upper lip, a little bit more detached in ways, you know,
1: browns, greys and, <laughs> browns, greys and blacks. Yes, <laughs> Su- you know what? You're 100% accurate about that. He was like, why are you being so in-? He's always like, why are you being so English right now? I'm like, because I'm English. <laughs>
0: like, why you so English.
1: Yeah, it's like, it's so English today, meaning like I'm being mean to him or <laughs> like I'm being cold or something like that. Like I'm not being all like, you know, a little too direct, maybe, you know. So yeah, I agree with you that we definitely have that. We're not as like soft and fluffy as, as Americans, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Nice. No. Yes. Oh, a little love story. But it works because <laughs> we're like yin and yang a little bit. But we're also the same in a lot of ways. You, like believing in the same things, like, fundamentally. We want the same things for, like, kids. We're on the same page. Like, it's good. You said kids with an S. <laughs> good catch. <laughs> 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 yeah, trying, thinking about number two. I'm old, though, so it's like, hurry up.
0: Yeah, it's now, it's now, it's now, the time's now.
1: Okay, Amy, tell us what life looks like now for you. I, I think I'm beyond blessed, actually, with my life. Right now, like I really can't. I don't have any right to complain. I have like a really good setup. I've got a loving man and daughter, and a nice, a good career, and you know we live in a nice house, and like my family's healthy and good. Um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I get to do whatever we want to do, go wherever, well. You know, pre-COVID, <coughs> we could do whatever we wanted to do and go <laughs> wherever we wanted to go. Like travel-wise, like we're not restricted in any way from a life perspective. Mm-hmm which is good and, you know, we really enjoy each other and we're happy. It's like, I don't have a right to complain about nothing. Was this your vision for yourself? I think subconsciously, yeah. I think everybody's vision is, well, not, I shouldn't say that, not everybody's vision, everyone's different, but like, I think the majority of people have a, an idea of what they want that probably looks like what, or something similar to what I'm living, I would think. I didn't overthink it too much. I was just like, it will happen when I'm like almost 40. That was always my thing. So when I met my partner when I was thirty-one, I was like, "Oh, this is early," because like then I realized that that was gonna be him, you know. After like, super, I mean, I moved in after knowing him for like five or six months. What What was it about him? What was it about what, him? Yes. He under, He like he actually like cared about who I was. It wasn't about how I looked because the reality is like, he loves like dark-skinned women, and he was that's why he calls me "waffle-colored nigga." just like. It's, like <laughs> <laughs> is is shit like? my shit? And I'm like, well, that's what you got. But like, that's his, you know, he was always, that's his whole thing. He's like, loves, like when, if there's, we're watching a movie or something, he's like, you know, African woman TV he's like, oh my God, some people, like, that's his thing. So it's so funny to hear that for me. <laughs> he's like, English girl. <laughs> like, well, English
0: girl. <laughs> How did that happen? Do you think it's the authenticity of it all, I guess? Because I think here in the UK, what you... I've found, especially in a day arena, is you, you're never quite sure what somebody, if somebody is being honest and if you are, re- they often might not know what they want. It's very hard to be able to identify whether you can be in this relation with somebody long-term when they're not quite sure about themselves and what they're looking for, but you've got expectations for them. Sounds to me like your partner knew from the jump what he wanted and, and, he,
1: and he can see that in you. I think, I think it's more about timing. It wasn't even that, to be honest. It was more about timing. Like he had, he was going through a divorce when I met So I met him in December, which is when my wife is. He, his, his ex-wife moved out in October, two months before. They were together for nine years, eight, nine years. So it was like, and I was like, you know, it's my birthday. So I was like, whatever, I'm not trying to like marry the dude. At that time, that's how I was thinking. You know, so he was just very early separated. I had just broken up with someone after two years. So we both were both in a place where we were like, I don't care. Like, this is what you get. I'm not even trying Like I didn't even dress up for our first date. He had holes in his shoes on our first date, like literal holes. I was like, okay. He made me get on a bus, which I still like teasing about today. I'm like, you don't have a car or nothing? Or like, we're not going to get a cat. It's New York, so much people like, don't have a car, but I was like, we're not going to jump in Uber. He's like, no, the bus is right there. I'm like, oh, hmm. <laughs> Strike. <laughs> but then we like went on to have like an amazing night and we really like talked. We talked, we connected, and like he actually cared about what I had to say. I cared about what he had to say. We were, like, really connecting on a real level, and it wasn't about what I looked like because, for, him, for his perspective, I didn't look like what he really wanted anyway in his mind. <laughs> he was, like, dark skin, big hips, big booty, like, that's my shit. You know, natural hair. I had the natural hair, but that was about it. So um he was kinda like, yeah, she's cute and everything, but you know, that's this is who is gonna be my, you know, next wife or whatever. I didn't really have any expectations. I was like, Yeah, he's all right, okay, but you know, I was like, my guy has to be like tall, like six foot, he's like five eight, you know. <laughs> <laughs> whatever. But so we both were kinda like, Yeah, she cool, you cool, you know, whatever. And then we just ended up connecting so much they were like, Oh, actually,
2: yeah, this might cool work. So it sounds like
0: you make some compromises. And is that because maybe you've had the things that you wanted in the UK and actually it didn't
1: transpire into what you actually wanted? Yeah, it's like what you think you want versus what you need. Yeah, it's like, you think you want this like six foot athletic. That's what my ex was before, he was like six foot French, like, you know, French, African, like big, like all the, like checking all the boxes. Yeah, like this is, looks dope on my arm. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm like, that's what I he was like an engineer. I was like, that's what I want, It's not what I needed. it wasn't actually what I wanted either. And then I meet this, like, five for eight, like, artsy musician with holes in his shoes. (laughs) 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 And I had, like, the most amazing time. And, like, he was so great. And I was like, oh, yeah. And it was just natural. And we from then, we saw each other every day pretty much to the point where he was, like, just move in. So I think sometimes it can be easy for
0: us to be either given... almost an image of what we should look for, whether it's, you know, women uh, looking for men and men looking for women. And then you, you get those things, and actually it doesn't even resonate with what you want, you know, or, you know, some people are like, I can only date guys who are older, I can only date guys who are this height, they can only be this shade, they've got to have this amount of money. You've got all these things and, and you get them and you're actually like, actually that's not even
1: what I wanted. Or, it's not even what I got and I'm happy. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. That's exactly what happened. And I was like, I said the same thing to him though. I was like, you didn't even know you needed me. You know because he's like this is how I expected mine he's like I was gonna have the most chocolate babies and I was like yeah no your baby is gonna be caramel <laughs> and it's gonna be fine <laughs> <laughs> like we make we laugh about it like it's like we both had these complete like different ideas of who we would, thought we were gonna be with and who we thought we wanted but like he's the only person that I want and like the same for him so it's like it's funny you have to be open to other things right and that that's why that's why I say timing is important because you get to a certain point in your life where that happens naturally because you just had enough of whatever situation you've been in, and he was there and I was there and we met and you know the stars aligned.
0: Yeah, like you'll meet you'll meet oh, you'll hear that. about guys who are have got a girl who's like their best friend and actually she's fully in love with him and you know he probably is she's like exactly what he's looking for but because she's not on paper, he yeah. might think he's looking for, he doesn't acknowledge that actually that could be my opposite one, that's my one. Yeah. It's crazy. Like and I think same for girls as well, as girls, you know? You've got this bestie, yeah. <laughs> acknowledge them as a partner,
1: but just as exactly. you met. Exactly, exactly, same thing, yeah. So I think we, we do it to ourselves a lot as, as women and men, I think we do it to ourselves a lot.
0: So what would you say some of the, the challenges have been for you throughout your journey, what some might describe as failures, I guess? but really challenges along the way that have been hard, difficult, possibly. Because as much as we've had, like, a really nice version of what's happened, I'm sure there might have been things parallel. See, I'm going to sound like a right dickhead, because... <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> like, nothing that bad. OK, so I guess the most challenging thing is when we were trying to get pregnant. Yeah. Like, that, that took a long time. That took, like, two years. And that was, like, hard, because you're trying, you're trying, and then every time you're... You know, period comes, you're like, Ugh. You again. And then, yeah, and so then we ended up doing IVF, which is like really hard for the women, obviously, because you're the one who has to get up at like 5 a.m. and go to, which is how it works over here at least. You get up at 5 a.m. and then you go to the, um, to the clinic and they give you, they take your like, you know, your blood and they check all your levels and everything. Because and, you have to do like, the process is you have to do the egg retrieval and so they have to basically force like a large amount of eggs to come through like injections and shots. And so you go through a course of like medication and then you do the egg retrieval, they pull the eggs out. And then when you're ready to do the transfer, which is to put, then they do the fertilization, sorry, with the the sperm and then the egg and you get the embryo and then that goes on ice. And then you book your transfer date for them to put the embryo back in you to turn into a human. And so then there's a whole nother like round of medication to get your body ready for that so that was like a lot because it was like just so many hormones like i held up a bag like after the fact i looked like behind the fridge which is where i kept the stuff of like all the med- like it was a bag like this like really large bag of wow. um like medication i was like no wonder i was because he was like you're like really crazy right now and i'm like this is why you see this is inside me <laughs> like do you see the size of this thing Like, this is all medication that's, like, running through my veins. So, like, yeah, I'm a little crazy right now.
0: When did you decide to embark on IVF? At what stage in your relationship do you think, okay, it's time for IVF?
1: Yeah, I mean, because we were both, like, older. So I had her when I was 38. So we started when my... I turned... We was in London, actually, at my uncle's house, and it was my 36th birthday. And I was like, we got we got to start trying. Like, if we want to do this, I'm 36 now. Like, we got to start moving. He was like, just one more year, just one more year. And I was like, nah, we don't have that time. And then we tried naturally and it didn't work. And so about a year, I think we tried for about a year, which is what they recommend when you're over 35. They say try for one year, it doesn't happen, and seek out alternative options. And so that's what we did. But yeah, so that was like kind of hard, mostly because I like went a little bit nuts for more than medication. <laughs> I think I like was a little bit loopy.
2: Did IVF work for you the first time?
1: Yeah, it did. So that so that was good but you know Shirley, you've obviously i don't know if you have kids sharon but sh- i do yeah yeah so you know like when you're pregnant also that's a whole nother you know mm-hmm. layer of complexity and like the things you go through like i i'm not a crier i cried all the time plus constantly was in tears and i don't even know why when you like, why are you crying i'm like uh, I, don't know. I just <laughs> like it was i was a mess and it was really really hard on our relationship actually because he was like, who is this person? Like, where's my Amy? Because I was, like, gone. Because I was just, like, crazy. So it was hard enough. We actually almost broke up over it.
2: The whole pregnancy? Yeah,
1: the whole pregnancy. Well, mostly... Actually, no, that's true. It was actually before because I would... As you do IVF, you're on all the hormones. So it's like it starts even before you actually get pregnant. Uh, and then just continue. So it was, like, probably a year of me just being, like, really emotional and, like, unreasonable and, you know... And him not really knowing how to deal with it because... He'd never gone through that before. And I was always, you know, the way I'm now. And then I suddenly became this different person. He was like, I don't like this person. (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, (laughs) yeah. So we kind of, we had a lot to work through there. And then she was here, the baby came, and then things kind of changed almost immediately. He was kind of like, oh, okay, I get it now. The things that I was already doing in my mind because I was already caring as I'm already thinking about how our life is going to change. And I'm already starting to do certain things that we didn't do before because I was... Like we used to be out partying all the time in New York. Like, obviously I'm not gonna do that when I'm pregnant. And he was like, not necessarily as supportive about it. Me making different choices because he wasn't really personally experiencing it yet. But then as soon as she actually came and then it was it was fine. It's been fine from then on, but like we went through a really rough catch. Now I was pregnant, which is not fun when you're pregnant because you're already so emotional.
0: I mean what's interesting and what strikes me about you Amy is just your 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 disposition and I think when somebody has got a positive outlook and mindset things that others might see as oh my god it was terrible it's crazy you kind of just kind of really managed and just weathered through that storm and I think that's one of the powers of having positive mindsets yeah you know do you know what I mean yeah, because you could have easily been like, listen, I wanted to burn down London when I left, but they wouldn't let me do it again. <laughs> <laughs> I just kept it moving. I reached, you know, New York, set the fire there, and sent the beacon. But, but you didn't say that. <laughs> you know, yeah. you've really taken it a positive kind of way and flow, and I think that's that's where people find a lot of their power and and why you can challenge words like failure, and that's not going to be a, the vocabulary you're going to use for it. Yeah, that's, essentially because you know mindset is everything and I think you've told us about the secret as well and just how you manifested that.
1: I really do believe in like you being able to manifest you have to like not just write stuff down but you have to think it you have to live it you have to do a little yeah you have to just start doing things like people always think like when people get to really successful positions it's like what was the strategy And it was like I just started doing it and then like I figured it out and then I figured out how to move and I learned things and versus just sitting and like thinking about it and talking about it and not actually taking the first step. It's like, just, just, just do something and then you'll
0: figure it out. i found law of attraction is getting mentioned more and more, especially when you're in situations or cultures where there are things against you. You have to start using different techniques to be able to get to what you want without people kind of charting your life course for you.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. You're 100% in
0: control, more than you think. So would you say with outcomes, the way that you've kind of managed to have positive outcomes is by things like that, mindset, law of attraction?
1: Yeah, I do. I'm very optimistic and I'm, I always have a mantra of like, and I say this to my team now, it's like, we'll figure it out. Like, no matter, no matter how bad we think it is, it's never as that bad really. And there's always an alternative solution and no one's going to die and it's going to be fine. Even when I was like, we was. With my partner and I was like pregnant, and we were literally sitting down talking about. We were almost like making a plan on how we were going to co-parent and and be separate, because we lived at the time in a multi-family. We owned the house, but we had two units, and we lived in the bottom unit. And he was like, "Well, I can move upstairs; that way, I can still see my daughter." And then, you know, you can do your thing downstairs. Like, we actually went through the motion and was like, "Well, what if you move out over here?" And then, how, like, yeah, but I don't want to be too far. I need to be like thirty minutes away max. Like, we was literally like figuring out the logistics of how we were going to separate but co-parent you know like it was that deep but it was again i was still like i wasn't like oh, jesus god i was kind of like all right well if that's what it's gonna be just figure it out say so what's for the baby and i'll be fine and you'll be fine i will be amicable and then we'll live our life and it's what it is so that's even then i was like okay um maybe you ain't the one Just <laughs> <Let's> keep <laughs> it moving then i'm gonna call my sidekick and, uh, that's the <laughs> and I was finding out who the next one's going to be. I'm like joking, but I'm like, not even joking. I did call my psychic. I want to call my psychic, fatally. Where's it going to be? Did. I, I did, <laughs> I swear down, I did. And then I played him the tape. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, so what did you see for my future? <laughs> What's his name, Gay? Right. Is it this one or nah? Um, he was like i can't believe you're playing this shit for me and i was like well you know i find that a lot of
2: people that are planners like you know they they just don't have time to sit in the emotion because they're like okay so how do we how do we move forward like um how do we do this like how we do that like we don't like planners don't sit in the emotion and feel for too long it's like okay this this is happening okay so what's the next move and i feel like that's kind of the vibes i'm getting for you like the fact, even the fact that you're saying, okay, so what's the major thing that's happened? Oh, okay, well, yeah, we tried for two years. We have to do IVF. That's a major challenge. And for you, it's kind of, <laughs> like for you, you're like, oh yeah, actually, that time, 16 months ago, you know, and it's, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, I find that that's a positive. And I think um, I like that about planners. I'm, I'm a planner myself. And I kind of remind myself sometimes to just sit in the emotion just for a little bit rather than quickly go forward. Feed it,
1: feel, feel it. Yeah, yeah, and that's what I, yeah, I, um, I, I feel like I need to do more of that because I'm very much like, like logical about everything and like, well, this is that okay, well then this well, let's move on. And, and at that point, like, because I was having a you know, a daughter, it was like, it wasn't even about me anymore. It was like, well, what's going to be the, the best setup for her? So I wasn't necessarily thinking about that as much, but yeah, I do agree. I think it's, you have to have that balance, which is why I think our relationship works because he does have that EQ and, you know, he can really, like we had a lot of really deep conversations, mostly driven by him because he has that aspect about him um, to really get into the nitty gritty of like what our problem was to solve it. So he really drove that.
0: What I was going to say about um, the planning aspect is that you and your partner are hugely successful. Like he's really, he, he's international with his business. He's not just like, you know, in the dungeon or dingy dungeon, he's an international sort of artist and and you are hugely successful in your job. And I think that's that in itself is an accomplishment and there are always challenges, but you've just navigated those without kind of saying, actually, it's hard, it's tough. You've just been quite positive about it, you know? And I think if, any, if anything I was gonna take out of your of your book was just trying to keep that mindset irrespective of what's happening and I think it's going to stand you in good stead going forward as well and you also not just work for um the advertising sort of world but you have your own business as well don't, don't use it fashion designer
1: yeah so I have a, a women's clothing line um culture c-u-l-t-r-o which um actually started six years ago to be honest like I've kind of moved away from it a little bit I'm doing some other stuff and uh I haven't spent as much time with it but The reason I started doing it was because I do love design. I like designing things and creating things. And I wanted to have a certain type of look that I couldn't find in the stores. So I just was like, I'm just gonna make it. And so I like literally went to FIT, which is like the big fashion school out here uh, in Manhattan. Did some like weekend courses, like evening courses on design and pattern making and brushed up on my Illustrator and Photoshop skills and I just started to design textile prints and sketches and and I got like some good uh res- like feedback on the what the sketches look like in the prints and I was like I guess I should start making stuff and then I like networked with some people that I knew that had like a foot in fashion and figured out who to talk to and like found factories and project managers and yeah it just kind of like snowballed from there and then I ended up doing like fashion shows and we kind of got crazy. So are you running that
0: simultaneously as doing a high powered corporate job? Yes. Hey, not challenging, eh? Hey? Yeah, because <laughs> <not laughs>
1: <honestly. laughs> <Honestly. laughs> <laughs> I always have to have like a creative outlet. I can't do like the robot corporate thing, it's just not who I am. I can I can do what I need to do in my job, but I still need to be me. And you can only be up to a certain point in a corporate environment. And so you need outlets for the other, you know, part of you. And for me, it was like being able to express myself through fashion. And then the things that I was making, I could wear it to work. And so it just made me feel better, honestly. And I liked it and other people liked it. And so I tried to take it to the next step of like actually having it be a real company where I was really selling. And I did that for a little bit. Like I got into anthropology in the US and I was selling them up on the website and I was on Amazon for a bit too. But it's like, it's such a hard industry that it's like, you can't really half step it. You can't like do something else and do that. It's just too much work you're not able to be as creative because in order to be creative, you need to like have space in your mind to be creative and think. And if you're always doing stuff because if you're nine to five, it's like, you, you don't have that space. And then over time, what I was making, I didn't even like anymore because it was like, it just came from a different place because I didn't have the, the room to really, you know, think it through and like, yeah. So I was just like, this is, and rather just keep going, rather than just keep going just to keep, keep going sake, I was like, yeah, I'm going to move away from this. But then my partner's like, no, 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 don't give it up. I'll take it over. Like we'll figure out how to do some kind of, you know, collaborative thing with what I do and what you do, and you know. And you also, I guess,
0: now you're you're your mum as well, which is a whole another job, (laughs) right? A whole job, bro. You know, yes, on top yes. of your corporate job, on top of having a partner, on top of keeping house as well. You know, and I guess you kind of point out something that I resonate with, which is just having headspace, having the headspace to align yourself um, properly with the things that you want to do. And if you don't, have it you end up not actually doing yourself a disservice almost because you're not able to give yourself the time and space that you need. Um, and it can be hard sometimes to call things a day because you want to be passionate about this thing that you love. But, you know, the, the issue then being actually you can't give what you need to give to it. So how easy was it to kind of say this is this is not my space anymore?
1: Not easy. I mean, I still don't even want to give it up. Like my, <laughs> my partner is like he's talking about doing something with the name. And I'm like, no, like it's fine. And he's like, I'm trying to like, get, get in your feelings now. You said you didn't want to do it. So now it's mine. I'm like, no. <laughs> hey, and I'm, he's like looking through my old like material and like photo shoot shots and stuff and he's like, yeah, I like this one and like, it's all like in his studio and I'm like what's the studio in here? And he's like, it's mine now. I own it now, it's me. And I'm like Oh, what is it doing? <laughs> no! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but it's like you got to just let it go and but I get to, you know, be in the world of fashion through other things in my job and other projects that I work on so, like I'm still in it in the space, which is, is good but sometimes you have to just like, You can't do everything, right? you got to pick a lane or a couple lanes, you can't pick five lanes you're not going to be successful.
0: Just thinking back through all that we discussed, all you've been through, what would you tell little Amy, younger Amy, your younger self, what would you think that would be learning points for her?
1: Take time and love yourself more. I think uh, specifically in regards to men, I like rushed a lot of stuff. I don't really regret anything because it's all part of from one particular person, but it's all part of the learning, right? It makes you who you are, blah, blah, blah. I was like rushing, looking for something which I didn't need to do, you know, relax and it will come to you. And I think I was like, because I'm such a planner, I'm like, right, I have to go. I have to be the one to like make the move to do the do And it's like, sit down, relax. When you make the move, you're, and this is something that I also again learned from my current partner because with my ex boyfriend, I approached him. I actually was going through a phase of like being the one to approach guys because I was like, well, I'm empowered and like, I don't need whatever. But it's like, from a guy's perspective you don't ever really know if he ever really wanted to talk to you <laughs> because you haven't even given him a chance to like make the first move you're just already there and he's a guy he's so like yeah all right just some quick you know yeah okay i can take that was that here or was that in the uk or in the states in the states i would say because i was yeah in the uk it was it was different but in the states i uh i was like very proactive let's put it that way <laughs> mm. <laughs> and I, I didn't need to be as proactive so I would say to younger Amy
0: just tic-tac. well that definitely brings us to the end of our interview Amy that has been such a nice conversation really comfortable just full of good energy and I think if anything I've
2: taken away from it, it is it is the energy that you bring
1: yeah it's been it's been fun
2: and your outlook, on, uh, your outlook, I think the listeners are going to love looking at the outlook that you have is very much like, you know, you just kind of move forward and plan and just, and achieve the goals. I think one of the things that I find really interesting is that a lot of women, I find always kind of have a plan for 40 and generally work towards that. And I think you kind of shared that, that was something you had done as well. So, I, you know, thanks for sharing your story. I, I've loved listening and learning i've learned some great things as well so yeah thanks for joining us and thanks for sharing
1: thank you very much. and where can people find you if they want to connect with you my instagram is underscore big city dreams so there's probably like a good place you can request uh, access <laughs> 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 i'm so exclusive nah. um, but I do have a private page so you can you can hit me up there. Also Cultro, the website is still up, so cultroclothing.com, C-U-L-T-R-O clothing.com if you want to check out some garbs. <laughs> some
2: garbs, I haven't heard that in ages. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Amy. it And um, hopefully you'll you'll maybe come back on and discover stuff of us in the
2: future, which should be uh, great.
1: Yeah, for sure. Thank you. It was good talking to you. Failure at forty. Failure at forty.
2: Failure at forty. Failure at
1: forty. Failure at
0: 40.